You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 425 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, uh, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen, howdy. Good morning. Recording this on Sunday, uh, the 19th of March. Um, and we've got some updates from last week. So we were told that the AC fee on rental cars... Uh, is not only a rental car thing, but also just kind of a Canadian thing in general. Yeah, one of our, so we were talking about this in the guise of all the stupid fees that didn't that were not subject to the discounts uh, for yep. promo that's being offered, and then why are there so many fees and this and that? And it turns out that apparently air conditioning, as a general concept, attracts a fee in Canada. It's like when you buy a new car, there's a fee for it. I assume it has to do with trying to offset the disposal costs of the coolant and such. Yeah, but. The, and the person asking the question was from Canada, so it makes sense that as a Canadian, they would see that in the list of fees that they uh, rattled off in the email they sent us. So it's still a fun one, though. I mean, it's still it's just funny to say, like, oh, I, I got my car and I paid my AC fee. Yes. How can you need AC in Canada, though? For like one month of the year, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I use we like having an air conditioner here in New Hampshire for like. Two or three weeks of the year, so I'm sure it makes sense some places. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I briefly we talked about Norse and it's how it's not Norwegian and how it's definitely not taking you know the same mess of transatlantic operations and the feed issue. Um, I was wrong when I said they didn't have feed, so they do have interline agreements. Uh, they do. At, I think uh, it's EasyJet and Norwegian actually on the European side and Spirit on the U.S. side. The main difference I would say in this case, though, is in, rather than it's sort of being Norwegian pricing it all the way through mm-hmm. where and one of the challenges with the connecting flow is how do you price things, right? How do you discount a long haul segment or, you know, with the connection, do you sell it for less than the nonstop and reduce your potential revenue on that nonstop segment, essentially? And it, uh, if you are pricing the whole thing, you have to make that decision. Their interline is what's called a virtual interline. Mm-hmm. They contract with a company called Dohop, D-O-H-O-P, that basically builds these interline connections and the airlines don't have to have the, all the agreements and do all the work and all the pricing stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's a straight interline. So they, and actually I think at Gatwick, where a lot of connections happen, they charge a premium. The airport like takes a cut for letting you stay airside and handling the bags. Hmm. Uh, which is kind of cool. Because you don't have to trade, you know, they handle it all for you. But, and there's, it's basically an insurance policy against a misconnect and a few other things. But, um, the pricing on it is what we typically call end on end, right? You, if you buy JFK, your Boston to Gatwick and then Gatwick to Hamburg, they take fair A and fair B and just add them together plus the premium for the virtual interline and you pay the full fare. So the pricing impact is less. But, so do, do they actually sell, like, could you go to Norse and yeah. get this ticket? Yeah, it's a, they redirect you sort of to a secondary site, but it's still, and I think it's a white label of the Dohop website. Okay. It looks more or less like Norse. Okay. Didn't realize that. That's, I mean, it's interesting. It's, I mean, for them, I'm guessing it's cheaper and easier than trying to actually build a real airline. A real airline. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This is the business we should be in, guys. It's like, why don't we start an airline company? And do what? I, 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 have you met the airline industry? 
Start with a billion dollars and end up with a million? I mean, exactly. <laughs> but you have a billion dollars to burn because I can help you if you've got a billion dollars to burn. <laughs> you have some fun along the way, at least. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, new topics. Flair, um, the Canadian, this is the Canadian one, right? The Canadian yeah. airline. They are in a leasing mess. Uh, tell me about this, Seth. Well, for they sort of were having some trouble this winter. Cash flows were tight and they stopped paying some of their leases. Um, <laughs> so, and normally, like, that's bad. They were negotiating with the leasing companies trying to get them sorted out. They paid off one of the companies. The other one, they were still negotiating and they were a little behind on the payments. And the leasing company put a, a lead on the planes, basically seized them. Being a little late, I think it was like five days, right? Well, they had been behind for several months and I think maybe missed a promised payment at that point. Okay. So it wasn't just like, yeah, it wasn't entirely innocuous but the there's an argument to be made that the leasing company perhaps was a bit aggressive in the decision um but yeah they put a lien on these four like seized the four planes forced them to be grounded and also apparently you know planes are hard to come by these days so it started shopping them around already well <laughs> and i i had heard that they were accusing uh, one of the canadian majors for being behind this repo so the theory there is that because the planes are already certified in Canada, if the leasing company was going to uh, release them out quickly, Canada would be likely the quickest and easiest place to do so. And it's three maxes, three max eights, and an old NG, uh, like a 700 or an 800, I guess. And, you know, WestJet flies those, Air Canada flies those. Like, why not? <laughs> So there, there was, uh, I mean, who else that, yeah, Canada Jetlines is stupid. Don't let's look, we'll get there in a minute. Um, so yeah, th there is some theory that at least it would be vi viable for them to get released out in Canada quickly, whether, you know, could Air Canada have been like, oh no, we'll take those planes and trying to force flare under that way. Um, I don't know. Sunwing might also take them. I forget what they fly, but I mean, it's interesting because of flare, right? I, Cause I was talking to our mutual friend who works at Air Canada. He was telling me that. So Flair flies to JFK. Right. Because of Flair, they have systematically dropped all their fares to all the New York City airports. Hmm. And like it's you can pretty much buy almost walk up fares for a hundred dollars each way. Oh, it's price something. They're admitting it. Admit is, you know. I know. I'm teasing. But look, obviously like airlines always do this. Oh look, low cost competitor showed up. Yes, we can drop our prices and try to put enough capacity in there to get them out of business because we can keep going. Yeah. It's it's kind of like I haven't seen fair air fares this low to Canada in a long time. Is it is it uh, changed how uh, flares operating? I mean, are they actually operating any flights or are these? Yeah, they're still operating. They had like fifteen planes to begin with, or no, no, before this happened. But one of the weird challenges on this one is like when it happened a couple weeks ago, they initially marked the flights as mechanical cancels, and I guess you know. Unable to turn the plate on because you no longer have the keys is technically mechanical, or it's got a boot on the landing gear. I don't know how they actually impound them. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's technically mechanical. It's that was a bad uh, move by them, I would say. You know, at least be honest about the fact that you got screwed here. But and you know that helped them claim that they didn't owe anybody anything other than rebooking a week later. Mm. Which you know it was just spring break, no big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. minor. But, wow. Yeah. Not great. 
And then you were speaking of Canadian or Canada jetlines, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, and uh, there's a whole mess there. So Canada jetlines is super interesting. They are a new ultra low cost carrier um, that I think as I wrote about still trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. This is the airline that announced three route or announced its first two routes, sold the tickets, never flew the first one, operated the second one for a couple weeks, picked a third route because maybe that would sell better. Um, a lot of operation, you know, these are all domestic flights within Canada. They're still, I think, operating the Vancouver route out of Toronto as their base. Um, but even that is very infrequent. They were basically trying to get things moving. They got a couple planes that they want to fly, mostly on transporter. Okay. I think they've got Melbourne, Florida. So Florida coast on uh, your Orlando, uh, Las Vegas and Cancun. Hmm. It's like if you're going to go for infrequent service and basically just fill up on leisure travelers at a low price, but hope your costs are low enough to make it work and hit them with some bag fees along the way. Sure. Those, those markets make sense. Yep. Um, and then they put out a press release last week saying that they are in discussions with Qatar Airways to discuss operating flights to Doha. What? And I emailed them like, hi, this is super vague. Who's going to actually operate? They're in partnership with Qatar Airways. Like, who, who's going to actually operate the flights? And the response I got was, initially they will be operated as a, they will be wet lease with aircraft provided by Qatar Airways. Eventually we intend to operate them by Canada Jetlines on a 777. That's interesting. This is an airline with two single aisle planes today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only are you where are you going to get the planes, but where are you going to get the pilots? <laughs> the later problem. Where are you going to get regulatory approval? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is really what I think. So, and I did a tiny bit of digging and tooled around at this one. I am ninety nine percent sure this is basically an end run where Qatar wants more frequencies, but because of the bilateral agreement between Canada and Qatar, can't add more flights. Yep. They're tapped out. They have daily service to Montreal right now, and they're only allowed seven frequencies into Canada. And so to get around that, they are basically contracting with a Canadian airline to operate on their behalf. So the Canadian airline could also operate seven frequencies. Mm-hmm. And so it's you know, the reciprocity side of it. Like, no, no, they're not a Qatari operation. They're Canadian. They can, they're absolutely allowed to operate these additional frequencies. Well, yes, it is our plane and our people on board, but that's just coincidental. Indeed. Air Canada just stopped flying to Doha at the end of January. Correct. So that opened up those frequencies as well. Um, and yeah, it's the other thing, like, if you look at historically, like, Canada has been very aggressive about protecting its. Air Canada, basically, but Air Canada and WestJet, it's long-haul airlines preventing, especially the Middle Eastern carriers, from growing service. And yet, when Air Canada and Emirates announced a partnership a couple months ago, all of a sudden, those rules started to look like they were going to relax. But it was, it was good for Air Canada now. Whether this is enough to make it work for Canada, if, whether the Canadian government will buy that this is really good for Canada Jetlines versus actually bad for Air Canada that it wants to protect. Remains to be seen. I guess I'm I'm a little perplexed by Canadian rules on this stuff. Like, is there a reason to be so protective? I mean, besides trying to encourage Air Canada or give Air Canada a leg up or WestJet a leg up, but wouldn't you want more frequencies from these carriers at some level? Isn't it good? 
it's a balancing act between additional inbound traffic or you know passenger total volumes and does it erode your home airline yeah i mean i guess i guess the question though is like still Which does worse for the economy like the broader economy yeah that's that's kind of where i was going is like seven frequencies for one airline and then seven frequencies for air canada is not a, it's not a lot to right. to cut it like and and i'm sure this is in place as well for emirates and air canada and for uh, probably other Middle Eastern carriers, I'm guessing. So Emirates, the UAE has a similar bilateral. Okay. Um, you know, India has similar policies as well. Yeah. Very protective of its of Air India. Now it's uh, you know, and then it was Jet for a while, which maybe they'll come back. Who knows? Um, <laughs> and there's been some progress supposedly, but I'm still skeptical. Uh, and and and, but right. So, but Indigo, the low cost carrier there, that's an all A32321 shop, now has triple sevens. Mm-hmm. 300 ERs, the high density configuration from uh, Turkish Airlines. Yep. They got one of them finally repainted. And again, they're flying to and from Istanbul using India's allocation of bilateral uh, frequencies to move passengers through. And that's, an, that's a fun one where they've also applied for the rights to uh, code share those flights through to the United States. Hmm. So those passengers could book a single ticket through code shared. I think try to remember now if it was the Indigo code on the Turkish flights or vice or the Turkish code on the Indigo flight, whichever way it was, the idea being Istanbul becomes a easier connection point for a lot of these passengers. And then, then connecting to the Bombay or Mumbai or Yeah. Mumbai. So I mean they start in I think the triple seven's out of Mumbai right now. Um yeah. that or Delhi, but I think it's Mumbai. But again, like those connections, when you look at United and Emirates deal, it was all about better flow into India. When you look at Air Canada as an India's deal and Emirates deal, it was all about better connections into India. Yeah. And it's to fill the fit to serve those secondary and tertiary markets in India. Everybody's got to connect. And well, Stephen, you and I have done those connections in India. Foz hasn't. Um, but he's, he's a better man for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not missing anything. Get <laughs> Bob. Um, yeah, it's not good. So being able to not have that domestic connection, it's, they basically have like separate airports for domestic and international in some cases. The, the terminal changes aren't fun. It's just not pleasant in my experience. So maybe I've missed something nice, but I don't think I have. I don't think you have, no. So, <laughs> um, which goes back to the Air India trying to become a global carrier thing and talking about how with all their new planes, it's going to be super convenient to make those transfers. I'm like, not to the fix the terminals. Yeah. Um, but again, so, you know, I... I understand wanting to protect your airline. The other side of that, though, is like Air Canada doesn't have that many flights to onward places where the connecting flow would be uh, seated, siphoned off, whatever whatever word I use there. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess the Vancouver Bangkok flight, but like. But that's not even year round. It's not year round. It's only a couple days a week. And. Would you would people fly Vancouver to Dubai to Bangkok instead? I mean, some would, but that seems terribly out. I mean, we would, but I, I think yeah, yeah. you're like, no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I, I don't love Emirates. So just that it's nothing special to me. It's certainly in anyway. Economy. Yeah, no, no, I, I get what you're saying. I I wonder. Yeah, I, I think like for United, it makes sense. For Air Canada, I still think it's it's a little strange. 
But. Yeah, but it, it is a protectionist move, there's no doubt. And so that it's, you know, which one makes sense? Do you do you keep doing it? And at least right now, the question of whether Canada Jetlines will get this, will be allowed to do any of this remains to be seen. But it is super funny to see them trying, like, oh, no, we'll happily take the Qatari money and, you know, wink, wink, none, nod, act as an independent operator there. <laughs> yes, welcome on board. Uh, Riyadh Air launches in Saudi Arabia. I think this is probably the weirdest story I've seen in your Twitter feed yet. So, listen, you know, launching a new national airline, which admittedly the Saudis have been talking about for some time, uh, makes a ton of sense when you're on the only other airline and you're trying to compete with yourself. And I don't know why compete with others when we can compete with ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the best argument I've heard is that they're going to have different hubs, so that's okay. <laughs> and that it's, the, uh, well, you don't need a second, you don't need a different airline to have a second hub. Well, uh, they're going to serve different types of passengers with a different type of service. Uh, suggesting Saudi is going to remain pilgrims and business travelers or a certain subset of business travelers and then the Riyadh Air is going to be tourist more and also business travelers. Uh, okay. I, I don't get it. Uh, and then, yeah, they want to serve 100 destinations by the end of the decade. What? That's pretty quick growth. Um, they want to be a transit hub akin to Dubai and Doha and Abu Dhabi and Istanbul and... You know, they're within 10% probably on a Great Circle Route mapping of connecting sort of Europe to Southeast Asia. But wasn't that the intention of of Saudi originally, too? They were they were you know, revamping connections at the airport so that you could, so, you know, they connect. Were, yeah. Right? And either it didn't work or it didn't work, right? It didn't work for people reasons. It didn't work for operational reasons. It didn't work because no one wanted to fly Saudi yeah. Um, I don't know, but listen, I give them credit. They hired uh, foreign leaders that are or foreign airline executives that know what they're doing, right? Tony is it Tony Douglas? Yeah, formerly of Etihad. Yep. Uh, and then they got a chief operating officer. I forget the guy's name, but that one also was a big win. Um, so they've got people who know how airlines are supposed to work. They've given it, but also like the Tony Douglas thing, he was apparently tried to he was rumored as having left well before this all launched but then was back in the press release said no no he's really our ceo so hmm. and and they, they so a few things don't make any sense or maybe maybe i'm just gonna i'm gonna postulate a few things could they be making the play here we're launching this new riyadh air uh rather than remarket saudi and try to fix it to fix like to rebrand the whole thing and like rebuild what it is yes uh, they launch Riyadh Air and then they shrink Saudi over time to down to you know just Hajj flights. Um, and then why would you buy forty two new seven eighty sevens for Saudi also? Uh, well, well, those Hajj flights, I don't think use a lot of capacity for that. Right. Well, I I would think seven eighty sevens are too small for that. Well, you could do it by frequency, right? Yeah. That I would, I would have imagined for the distances where they want to run Hodge from, I would imagine dash tens if you want the capacity. And some of them, I think have options for tens, but like, I don't think the orders for nines. It's the whole thing is weird. Um, 
the only the only other story I've heard that makes some sense is that well, there's two other ways I see it. One is there's enough people at Saudia that they can't fire, lay off, offend, otherwise impact mm-hmm. that they're just going to let them run their own little thing and keep giving them the money because it's what it is. But this is going to be the new real airline. <laughs> I mean, I can, I, I can kind of see that, I guess. Kind of makes sense. I mean, it's sure. Why not? Yeah. 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 Or they're just going to let Saudi, you know, go down and hope Delta invests in it, but just like they invest in everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Below the belt, Foz. What? <laughs> what are you doing, Sky Team? They're, I said they're a Sky Team partner. Yeah. So, so will will Riyadh Air be a Sky Team partner? I doubt it. Yeah. Certainly not. Bar. There, so that's a very would if, as an as a alliance. Would you let both in if they really are separate airlines? I mean, it seems like overkill, but <laughs> and, and normally, like you normally don't have two in the same country, uh, and normally you wouldn't. But that's but that's normally to protect the existing partner. And if Saudi and Riyadh are really kissing cousins, do they need that protection and isolation? Anyway, it's not going to be that way to start for sure. So you you mentioned that the, they're going to be in a different airport. So which where are they going to be based at? So the new so the Riyadh airport is in the midst of has a master plan for insane growth six parallel runways like 180 million passengers a year kind of capacity mm-hmm. um at the same location sort of building on top of the existing infrastructure and that's another one of those fun things like i hope and trust that they've done they've designed it to scale up sort of like uh dubai world central the other dubai airport yeah that right now is mostly just cargo and is like built for modular and scalable growth of chunks of terminals and chunks of runways that can be added in time but they've blocked off the full set of land at least okay if that makes sense so like they've, they've got the room to grow they've basically got the master plan set no one's going to fight them on it but until they actually have demand they're not going to actually build it and we're we're saudi based right now uh Jeddah, right Jeddah. yeah okay. to the east West. Jet is to the west. Jet is on the west coast of Send uh, what's the one what's the big town on the east? Damam. Damam is the only thing on the west coast. Riyadh. No. Uh Damam. Okay. Maybe? Uh, no. I think it's Jeddah. Yeah, I think it's Jeddah. Okay. I might be wrong. I thought I Yeah. I'm reading now. Because Jeddah's I mean Jeddah's yeah, huge, like Jeddah. Jeddah. You're right. I'm okay. I saw something, I don't know. I saw the mom when I was looking at routes, maybe. I, I mean, the mom's right. like where all the fuel, like all the oil traffic goes, but the mom um, and Riyadh are secondary hubs. Okay. I, I mean, it makes, I mean, Riyadh makes some sense, I guess, because it's uh, central and I, I don't know, it's got the big airport, but it just seems, it seems, it's, the whole thing seems weird. I mean, eventually we're going to say, no, no, we're just going to merge the two airlines together. Maybe it's, in, maybe the other story is it's to, to oust the CEO of, of uh, Saudi eventually, and replace them with uh, this new CEO of Riyadh. Yeah, but see, that's the that was the story, the idea, or it's to let him keep going until he's done and retires, and they don't that way they don't have to fire him. Yeah, yeah. I mean that makes sense. Yeah, uh, for the month of March, four thousand departures from Jeddah, thirty six hundred from uh, Riyadh, and only just under six hundred from Damam. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely Jeddah. My bad. No, that's fine. I was I'm wondering about Hodge flights. I mean, they, they they were doing like three flights to I think it was either Kuala Lumpur 
or Jakarta. Yeah. Three flights a day uh, to Jeddah from from those places. So it's interesting. Um, all right. They used to use the seven fours in that, right? Too. Yeah. Might have been fixed. Good times. Uh, and then U.S. airlines are lobbying for limits on Russian overflights. <laughs> wait, wait, what year are we living in? I... 2023 uh, and the glory of global geopolitics. This is basically fallout from the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent U.S. airlines don't fly over Russia now or can't fly over Russia for reciprocal reasons and yada, yada, yada. But the Middle Eastern carriers, India, uh, Air India, and various others still do. Yep. And the U.S. airlines are arguing that that puts them at a competitive disadvantage and also arguing that politically it is unseemly that we are supporting the Russians by allowing these airlines that pay them hard currency to, for overflights to continue to operate in the United States and that that should be part of the embargo, basically. I mean, it's, that part's not wrong, right? They are paying for the overflight. Yeah. I, it seems, it seems unlikely that the United States is going to step in and say, if you fly over Russia, you can't fly to the United States. Like that seems, I don't know, hard to enforce and maybe petty. I'm not sure if that's hard to enforce. It's definitely petty. Uh, yeah. Right. But you, I mean, if you're going to have an embargo, should you have, should it be a real embargo? And so then it's a question of, is the, net impact overall to the United States greater by not allowing those flights, right? You lose cargo traffic, you lose a lot of passengers. There's still several thousand people a day moving on those planes Yep, that there isn't capacity to otherwise handle through alternate routings, right? Should you say that Turkish can't fly to the United States because it continues to operate massive volumes of traffic and huge profits from Russian operations? That it scaled up since the war started. Yeah. But we need them in NATO. So, you know, they, the politics are crazy. The, the Turkish state, right? You just reminded me of something. Something this week, Turkey announced that they will not fuel or service Boeing aircraft. What? But the Airbus is okay. So the Russian, for Russian Boeing aircraft, should I clarify? No. And yeah, anything from Russia with the Boeing aircraft, they will not be able to fuel or maintain. Because of somehow the related sanctions, but Airbus planes are okay. So the Russian carriers have all been switching to flying Airbus planes into uh, Turkey. Well, did you hear that the SSJs are finally running out of spark plugs? <laughs> I did not. The SSJs, the the whatever Sukhoi Superjet, right? This is yeah. the smallest regionalist jet that the Russians are flying. Uh, and they that's their homegrown jet, but it had a bunch of third party or third country parts, including American and European. And the engines on them, they're trying to get a homegrown engine into them, but it's a couple of years away. And in the meantime, they're flying with the old U.S. engines. They had uh, the spark plugs are made by a company in the United States that obviously has stopped providing them. Oh, and you know the sanctions, and they basically have worn out their entire backlog there or the, the stock. They had about a year of inventory, and they're starting to run out of spark plugs now. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So the the, the refueling and related services being banned is uh, that goes it goes for private cargo, charter aircraft, and any passenger. If the uh, if the aircraft is manufactured even in a foreign country, but if that aircraft contains more than twenty five percent U.S. origin raw materials, 
Interesting. So I, I, I think it's because we have that in our provisions for the embargo pause and Europe doesn't yet, but I, I can see it coming. I mean, a year later is when we start enforcing it. I, I mean, I think someone probably had a, a little talk with Turkey and said, look, you're, you're technically breaking the rules of the embargo. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we, we like you and we need you in NATO and we're happy that you finally let are voting to let Finland in, but like time, time to step up and do a little something, something here. Yeah. I, I don't think, I think they're at the point where they don't want to burn the bridge. Yeah. Uh, with NATO, it, so also I just want to follow up on the spark plug thing another idiocy of maintenance gone bad uh, there was an Azure Air plane that had a, a I think it was a contained but an engine failure uh, a couple months ago now and the report on it was sort of buried initially it, like in I would say Thailand maybe <laughs> um, and they went back and looked and it turned out it had missed its regular inspection cycle and the engine hadn't, like, the fan blades had not been inspected for three years. And they were due for inspection every 660 cycles or something like that. And they were getting close to being due when the war started. And the U.S., air, like, they lost access to all their maintenance stuff because that was all in, you know, cloud-based whatever that was managed in the West. And so they lost access to their maintenance records. And so rather than trying to figure out how long it had been since it was last inspected. They just started counting at zero again, apparently. Oh, wow. And so it had been like hundreds of flights operated without the proper inspection. So here's a question for you in that case. If, if a plane was to be lost Mm -hmm. because of, because of this, don't you think it's, it's a political nightmare for the United States? Um, if it's a U.S. manufactured plane, um, to say we went to to say well they withheld the ability for us to do a proper maintenance. Yeah, I mean a political. I mean it's a political and and I would say advertising. Uh, what would you what would you call that? Uh, a nightmare for the the the, the vision of the United States for the the position. Yeah, visually of the United States. It, I see what you're saying. I think the argument is yes. They they didn't maintain it correctly. We told them exactly how to maintain it, and in the current scenario, the case was, it should not be flying because you don't have the rights to maintain it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They continued to fly this plane without proper maintenance. They screwed up. Yeah. Never mind that the reason they flew without proper maintenance because they couldn't properly maintain it. Yeah. I mean, it makes, what you're saying makes sense. I just, I'm thinking about the optics. That's the word. The optics of... of, uh, But I would add to that, right? If the maintenance records were held in the West... Like, is that really the right thing to do to cut off access to those? Fair enough. I mean, that's, I think, yeah, that should have been turned over and said, look, here's your records and no more. We're, we're not going to deal with you anymore. Uh, yeah, and, it, you, and part of it's the records. Part of it, though, is like they lost access to the the guides, like the maintenance manuals. Mm. But should that be the case, too? Like, when you buy an airplane, shouldn't you get the guide? I mean, I guess they're, if they're hosted on Western servers and you lose that. So, yeah, I... Do they change? Obviously, there was a, the maintenance and the whole embargo thing about this. That, but we've been talking for a year about like at some point they're going to run out of spare parts, and then yeah. what happens? They've already we've already heard the stories about Russian authorities talking about letting the planes be scavenged, and rather than recertifying parts and reinspecting them because they don't have the right documentation and paperwork and all to do that, just putting them in you know best judgment, put it into service anyways. And I think in that case, like that doesn't fall in the U.S., right? You're out of parts. You shouldn't be flying the plane. Like that's, you know, you're making bad choices. So 
Yeah, I mean, you can't do an inspection. You shouldn't be allowed to play. And you're making bad choices. Yeah, agree. I, I, I can make that argument either way. But yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I think, I think, from a moral and ethical standpoint, right? Like, it makes sense. It's just. How does the U.S. deal with the fallout if one of these planes does crash? Right, you you said a contained engine failure, but what if it had been contained and it punctured the the cabin or something? Yeah, you know, like, or if it didn't have it was on it was on the departure roll also. So I think they got it before they got off the ground. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, is it? No, they can. You know, there's a real risk there, and same for the European stuff too, right? Like the Airbus yeah. family. Also, I haven't heard maintenance issues like this, but I'm sure there are going to be in the very near future. I mean, if they're if they're running out of spark plugs, right? Like the next thing is probably I mean, fan blades. I'm guessing they don't have replacement fan blades. I was there. You those get nicked fairly. I wouldn't say all the time, but they get nicked somewhat regularly. Or is the reason they get inspected? Yeah. So I don't know things like that. A wheel like tires. I guess you can manufacture tires um, that match. But anyway, wild. Um, let's talk about Spirit and Jet Blue. Um, they got their formal opposition from the government. Yeah, Department of Justice has filed its lawsuit. Um, that not unexpected. I think there was the part that was slightly unexpected was that the Department of Transportation also seemed to chime in. And they usually stay pretty quiet about these, right? Yeah. Um, like, and what powers they have is still unclear. But so the lawsuit is now out there. Usually it's a starting point for negotiations on further compromise. Uh, it's unclear if the DOJ is willing to negotiate, if the airline is willing to negotiate or thinks it's offered enough up and is willing to take it to a court and see what happens. There's the interesting challenge of if you look at the history of the mergers and sort of what has been allowed both in the aviation world and in others the density of traffic consolidation, these are basically two very small players that will still be number five. Yeah. And by a wide margin. And admittedly, the growth plan for said number five has it growing pretty aggressively over the next 10 years based on just airframe deliveries unordered. Right, they've got a pretty strong order book that'll have them yeah, yeah. more than double in size. But the other guys are also are, are sitting at nothing. You're right, the big four also have massive order books and have growth plans. Uh, the market overall is growing, so it, they, yeah, they may increase their share a little bit. But at the end of the day, it still it keeps coming back to the government saying you're going to take away low fares in the market if the spirit flies, and JetBlue saying yes, we will, but we're going to create lower fares in more markets because we compete better against the big four, and so we can force them to lower their fares. So it's Sure, a bunch of people are going to get screwed, but even more people are going to save. It's a very, very hard argument to make. I mean, but does JetBlue really compete that much? Do they even drive down fares? In some markets, it has. It's been a while since it's been aggressive on it, but, you know, even the, like the transatlantic stuff they finally launched, there definitely was a noticeable drop. I, absolutely, but, I mean, they're ankle biters in the transatlantic market. Yes, but, you know, so is Canada Jetlines, and the Air Canada had to drop all its fares <laughs> to New York City. You mean Flair. Or Flair, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. Um, I, so, what do you think? JetBlue has to be going, have to be scratched their head saying, what do we do if this doesn't go through at this point? No, they have to pay out a lot of money, and, and yeah, they're kind of screwed. They're not screwed, but they're, 
They are, to an extent. And, oh, by the way, this is all still pending the Northeast Alliance ruling, which somehow the same judge was originally assigned in both cases. That seems bad. He's got, he, they got it switched so the new kid, the second case is not under the same judge. But yeah, that seems bad. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, Spirit, I mean, Spirit's kind of sitting back and twiddling their thumbs on this, right? Like they, I'm sure they'd be happy if it failed. They get a bunch of money. Yeah. You know, their shareholders get paid out either way. And the question is, if this falls through, do they then try to go back to the Frontier deal? Does Frontier, or does Frontier come back and be like, no, we can try again now? Mm-hmm. Right? Is is there an argument to be made that combining two companies that promise to keep base fares low is okay, but one that says it wants to raise some base fares to try to battle a bigger airline is bad? Or is it just any consolidation is bad? There's also the part where if this falls through, by the time that happens, we'll be in the midst of another presidential election cycle. And depending on how that turns out, the next administration may feel very, very, very differently about uh, corporate mergers. Yeah. Depending on who wins in 24. So I I also have to say, I find it amusing. JetBlue announced uh, routes starting in November from Orlando to Santiago and Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. Daily service, no big deal. A couple extra Caribbean routes, sure, fine. The release was the beginning of t- our march to 200 daily flights in Orlando, but you've got to approve our merger first. <laughs> um, this follows their announcement of the Fort Lauderdale to Tallahassee route as part of our growth in Fort Lauderdale, but you got to approve our merger. How many people are flying Fort Lauderdale to Tallahassee? None, but the government... Why did United fly a Friday, Monday turn from Newark to where the hell was it in South Carolina? Uh, North Carolina? It was in Charleston. Whatever beach town it was. Was it, was it Myrtle Beach? It was what, corruption. Let's just put it right. Like, <laughs> so the, no the, beating around the bush there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember where the corruption was, but there was corruption for the Port Authority boss. Uh, the air, JetBlue is heavily lobbying and working with the Florida. We are getting Florida's uh, governor and legislature that the press release for this Orlando routes like called attention to the agreement they had with the attorney general of Florida to continue their growth. They're absolutely making it clear that they've got support from the local government um, in Florida and they are and they are securing that. Right. It's funny. It's like you look at the Florida, the cities that in Florida that arguably would be somewhat most affected negatively by fares going up, but are also saying, no, we like the volume. We, we're actually, we're pretty sure the passengers are going to keep showing up. Even if they pay a little more, we think this gets us more people, more tourists. We're happy. Yeah. So it's a little curious that the feds don't see it that way, but the state and the local people on the ground do. But again, tough, tough situation for the airline. Um, and yes, yeah, spirit. If this falls through, like they got paid out and they've still got their order books so they can continue to grow. Yeah. They can do what they want to do and not have to worry about it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's good for them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Either, I think either way works for them, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's it. Do you guys want to talk about anything else? We got some fun stuff for the bonus topics. Yeah. We got some, we got some interesting things. Northern Pacific, uh, picking its first route, uh, and uh, some rebookings by you, Seth. But first, we're going to thank our, some of our Patreon subscribers, uh, Tejas, Rick F., Jason K., Leif K., John C., Taylor M., Thomas D., and Michael H. Thank you for uh, being new Patreon subscribers and supporters. We appreciate it. And to everyone else, if you want to listen to the bonus topics, you can support us on Patreon. 
Uh, if not, we uh, we thank you for listening and leave us a comment. We'll talk to you in the next one. Bye-bye. Take care. Catch you later.